Welcome to the Florence Crossroad Podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit florencecrossroadag.org. We hope you have an amazing experience and a great week. There is nothing more awkward than seeing your face on a video screen. So, yeah. All right, as Pastor Dale had mentioned, I am Pastor Lauren, the children's pastor here, and um, he asked if I would bring the word this morning, and I don't know if I've been so pumped up and excited for a message in my life. So I hope you're ready. I hope you're hungry, because this is full of God's word this morning, Um, and so we're going to dive in, and we're going to dive deep. So get ready. Um, This message I have titled, Priests and Tabernacles. Priests and Tabernacles, now that, oh yeah, also, sorry, thank you, Jeff. Um, Kids are staying in with us today, so if you normally are just regularly dismissed with me, I'm here, so stay with me. All right, Um, so this morning, we're talking about Priests and Tabernacles. Now, this is not the title of a message that you're like, wow, that makes me feel all fluffy inside and want to know every, like, I mean, come on. But really, no, priests and tabernacles, there is something about this that we are going to dive into and we're going to realize that God's called more out of us this morning. Um, So I personally don't think that the church as a whole has done a super fantastic job of teaching the Old Testament because let's be real, it's, it's a little bit hard. Um, the Old Testament culture was so different from our culture today, and it's hard to know how some things apply or if it applies. But I think sometimes we have gotten in the rut of just assuming that, yeah, that was for the Old Testament times, and then the New Testament was written, which is for us, and that applies today. And sometimes we leave the Old Testament behind, and we think, yeah, we, we heard about it, we read about it, um, but that was for a time back then. But to read with that mindset is to miss out on who God is, and in many ways, it's to miss out on who we are. And so I want to pick apart this morning who we are. We're going to pick apart the Old Testament a little bit as it pertains to priests and tabernacles. So are you ready? Awesome. All right. So how many of you know that the identity crisis in our world is rising? People who don't know who they are, people don't, who don't know what they believe, people who don't know necessarily or um, what sexual orientation they, they are, they're, it, they're confused. Our world and our society tends to be very confused about our identity. Who are we? Why do I exist? What's my purpose? What's the point? Interestingly, with that percentage that is rising, there's another percentage that rise, rises about the same way, and that's the biblically illiterate rate. Those the believers that are biblically illiterate, that percentage is growing as well. Believers that don't know the word of God, that don't know how to read the word of God for many reasons being that I simply haven't been taught. I think churches are are used to assuming that we know how to read the word of God. But we need to understand that there is a generation that's rising up that is biblically illiterate. They haven't heard that story. They don't believe that story. They don't know the history. And with it, hand in hand, we have more and more people who are saying, I don't know who I am. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't even know if there is a God. I don't know that God cares about me. I don't know this. I don't know that. Because they don't know where to find it. It wasn't that long ago. I mean, I'm not that old. Um, 
that I thought that the majority of households had a Bible or two or three in their homes where you could walk into most homes and you would find a Bible. I grew up in a pastor's home, so it's a little bit of an exception, a little bit of an extreme. I think I had 10 Bibles of my own in my room. It was excessive. I probably should have given them away. Um, I had a lot. And my friends had Bibles, and, and those that I knew, their homes, you could find a Bible. It wasn't uncommon. I work with kids in kids' church, and, and I, I talk with students, and now it's not uncommon that there's not a single Bible in the home. There's not even a Bible app downloaded on a device. That's not uncommon. And then we have a generation saying, I don't know who I am. I don't know what my purpose is. And maybe you're in here and you're like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my identity is. I'm struggling with that. I want to tell you that the answers are found in the Bible. The answer to every question that you have is found in the Bible about who you are, what God has for you. It's found there. We got to dig deep back into, into the word of God because he has truths for us. So to start us off this morning, we need to understand our identity. We really have to understand who does God say I am? What's our identity? Let me just throw out a few for you. John 1:11 and John 1:12, excuse me, says we are children of God. Romans 8:37 says we are more than conquerors. Colossians 3:12 says we are chosen and dearly loved. According to Philippians 3.20, we are citizens of heaven. Galatians 3.13 says we are redeemed. Ephesians 1.18 says we are holy people or saints. 1 Peter 2.9 says, again, we are a chosen people. It also says we are priests and we are a holy nation. And Revelations 1.6 says we are a kingdom of priests. There are so many that struggle with this identity crisis. And this is who you are. This is who we are. Chosen, redeemed, beloved, citizens of heaven, holy priests. This is our identity. And this is what we need to stand on. Because the world is trying to define your identity. And the world does this. And that's not ground to stand on. Because you will be shaken. And you will fall over. But when you stand on the word of God that does not change Your identity will not change. It will be held firm in who he is. Who are we? I don't have time this morning to dive into all of these, to dive into child of God, to dive into a citizen of heaven, to dive into redeemed, to dive into a holy nation. I don't have time to tear apart every single one. I encourage you, do that. What does that mean for you? But just one, just one that I want to dive into is what does it mean when God says that I am a priest? What does it mean when God says I am a priest? I think the world has defined and painted this picture of priest when you hear it. You have this thought and this picture in your head. But your thought and your picture is painted by the media, is painted by our culture, is painted by our world. But who says you're a priest? God. And we need to understand when it says priest, you are a priest, what is God's picture? What is God's mindset? What is God thinking? What is God expecting? 
what is truly a priest. So to understand it, we are going to dive back into the Old Testament to understand a little bit of our history. Exodus 19, going to jump all the way back to the beginning. Now, in Exodus 19, first of all, what you need to know about this, in this portion of Scripture, this is before the tabernacle, God's meeting place, ever existed. There was no tabernacle, all right? There was no meeting place of God. This, right here in this chapter, we find the Israelites, God's people, in the wilderness, they're in the desert. They've been walking through the desert for about three months now, and they're standing at the base of a mountain, Mount Sinai. They're in the desert because they had just escaped slavery from the Egyptians. So they're at the base of this mountain, and their God-appointed leader named Moses is climbed up the mountain to go talk to God and meet with him. And this is what God said to Moses on that mountain, Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. If you will faithfully obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my special possession out of all the nations. For all the earth is mine, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, the interesting thing right here in this passage is that this is the word of the Lord spoken to Moses, commanded to speak it to all of the children of Israel. It was for all of them. This was not a message of the Lord for a select group in that nation, but this was a word of the Lord for all of them. He says, you will be a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. Not a kingdom with priests in it, but a kingdom of priests. There is a drastic difference between the two. We are all called to be a kingdom of priests. Let's fast forward just a few chapters into chapter 32, because if you know your Old Testament, if you're familiar with it a little bit, you know that in the Old Testament that the priesthood was restricted to just one tribe. So what happened? Because God said that we would be a kingdom of priests. What happened? In Exodus 32, there's a lot that can happen between a few chapters in the Bible. It's important to read all of them in order to understand the picture. All right? So at, night, at Exodus 19, the Israelites said, Yes, God, you will be our God, and we will worship you, and you are the one true God. We will not leave you. We will not forsake you. We will be a kingdom of priests. They were all on board for it. And then here we are, Exodus 32, not that far down the road. And the Israelites are still standing at the same base of the same mountain. Moses is up on the mountain, and he's receiving the Ten Commandments from God. And they are down there, and they're like, he's been gone for a while. Um, did God forsake us? Maybe he did. So uh, let's just do our own thing. And so they took all of their gold jewelry and gold that they could find, and they melted it, and they melted it and, and formed this statue. And with this statue, they said, this is now our God. We will bow down to it, and we will prostrate ourselves before it. We will sing to it, and we will dance to it, and we will sacrifice to it. This will be our God. Interesting. Moses comes down the mountain, and he sees this chaos of the Israelites. They're going nuts. And Moses yells out in Exodus 32, and he yells out to the crowd, and he says, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. Who's on God's side? And the only people that came were the Levites. 
spoiler alert, the Levites were the ones that became the tribe from which the priest would be appointed. The Levites came. Moses spoke to the Levites who came to him, and he says, If you love the Lord your God and you will stand for his righteousness and his holiness, do this. Go kill the idolaters that are profaning his name. And they did. How hard would that have been? Because those were neighbors. Those were friends. What? But they would not stand for idolatry in their nation. The Levites stood strong. Because of idolatry, I I truly do believe the priesthood was limited to a select group of people. It wasn't because that was God's heart or God's intent or God's order from the very beginning. It wasn't. But they stood for holiness and they stood for righteousness. God's desire has been and will forever be that his children would be a kingdom of priests. Let's take a look at 1 Peter 2.9. It says this, it says, but you are his chosen people, the king's priests. You are a holy nation, people who belong to God. He chose you to tell about the wonderful things he has done. He brought you out of the darkness of sin into his wonderful light. He chose you. He saved you. He's hungering for your heart The truth is, as soon as as you were saved, as soon as you said, I'm a sinner, God, I I know and I believe in my heart that you sent your son Jesus to this earth, and I believe that he died for my sins and that was sufficient for me, and I believe that you raised him from the dead. Soon as we've made that choice, we're saved, and as soon as we're saved, we've been drafted to be a priest. You are a priest. And even as I say that, I firmly believe that there are people scattered throughout here that when I say, you're a priest, you're doing this. I couldn't be. I couldn't possibly be. You don't know my sins. You don't know my addictions. You don't know my hangups. I couldn't be a priest. God wouldn't want me. I'm not holy enough. I couldn't be a priest. I've never been called like Pastor Dale, Pastor Jeff, Pastor John, or Pastor Lauren. I've never received that calling. I couldn't be a priest. You are not a priest because of what you've done in your life. And you are not neglected from being in the priesthood because of what you've done in your life. It has nothing to do with you. You're a priest because of God's grace. Let me share with you a thought I read a while back. It says, religion teaches us that our function determines our identity. A.K.A., I am because of what I do. Also, I'm not because of what I don't do. But worship, which is what God desires, worship, not religion, worship teaches us that our identity determines our worth, and God determines our identity. And God determined that we would be a royal priesthood, that we would be priests. God did. So not because of our righteousness are we priests, but because of God's grace. But knowing who we are, knowing our identity is only this much of the picture. Adopting the the title is only a piece of the puzzle. 
because we also have to know how to function as a priest if we're going to be a priest. I could tell you that I'm a guitar player, but if I don't play the guitar, you would say you're a liar, right? So in the same way with God's identity, I'm a priest. Well, what do priests do? We have to know how to function as a priest to adopt this identity and embrace it for our lives. What in the world does a priest do? Before I go any further and get into that, I want to put out one thing just to make sure that we're all on the same page. The church is not the tabernacle, and the pastors are not the priests. You are the tabernacle, and you are the priest. When reading the Old Testament, it's really easy to go there. Oh, the tabernacle, the meeting place. Yeah, that's, that's the church. Oh, the priest. Yeah, that's, that's the pastors. Nope. Let me just strip that out because that's not true. Though pastors are to be priests, so are lawyers, so are doctors, so are teachers, so are moms, so are dads, so are fathers, so are students. No matter who you are, where you are, whatever your life does or does not look like, you are a child of God. And as a child of God, you are also a priest. You cannot accept being a child of God and push against being the priest, a priest of God. The two come hand in hand. You don't get one or the other. It's not a pick and choose your identities from the Bible. It is who you are. Because of God, not because of you. So what do priests do? What is the function? Okay, if I'm a priest, what am I supposed to do with that? Five functions of a priest this morning. Number one, priests steward meeting places. Priests steward meeting places, taking a look at Numbers 1, 49 through 53. In this passage, we see that God consecrated the Levites, the priests, as the tribe of Israel, he gave them the responsibility to set up, to tear down, to move, to facilitate how worship happened in the tabernacle. It was the priest's job. It was the priest's duty to do all of that. It was their job to guard the tabernacle. They went before the people. They led them, God led them, and then they followed God. It was the priest's job. They set it up. They tore it down. They moved it. The word tabernacle, all it means is a tent. It was just a tent. It was a meeting place. It was the tent of congregation. It was a place that God set apart to meet with his people. That's where in the Old Testament God met with his people was at the tabernacle. And a priest's job was to set up the place where God and people came together to meet. What are you? A priest. So it's our job to set up the places where God and people meet. It is our job. 1 Peter 2.5, it's in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Let me put that in today's language. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up to be the tabernacle. We do not have the tabernacle that we set up and tear down and move and guard around. But you are the tabernacle. 
You are the, the priest. You are the meeting place. Our method has changed because in the Old Testament, their method was to set it up, tear it down, so on and so forth. Our method has changed, but our function has not. The priest will always be called to steward the meeting places of God, to steward them. I challenge you to truly, truly embrace this because when you do, God will begin opening up opportunities for you to move through you to be the meeting place between his son and the people that he loves. I don't want to miss out because that's not by my ability, but God wants to meet his children through you. He values you that much. Man, God's good. Number two, priests carry the presence of of God. I told first service that if there was a point that I was going to get excited about this message, it was going to be right here. So I don't apologize. Priests carry the presence of God. Taking a look at Deuteronomy 10.8, very first part of this verse, it says, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi, the priests, to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. <laughs> okay, let me explain. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was a pretty big deal in the Bible because the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord represented God's presence on earth. And the Lord appointed the Levites, the priests, to carry the Ark of the Covenant. The Lord appointed the priests to carry God's presence. If you were not a priest, you could not carry his presence. There were times in the Bible where someone would touch the Ark of the Covenant that was not appointed to touch God's presence, and they died. There were times when only the priest could carry it on their shoulders. There was a story in the Bible where they tried to put the Ark of the Covenant on a wagon because they thought, hey, this is what other people are doing. We'll let an oxen pull it. We don't have to stress out our shoulders. It's fine. The oxen stumbled, and the Ark of the Covenant tilted, and a guy reached out to try and stable it, and he died. Because God's presence can be carried only by priests. What are you? We're priests. It gets better. Wherever God's presence goes, wherever the Ark of the Covenant was faithfully carried in the Bible, there was life, there was fertility, there was victory in war, there was mercy because where God's presence goes, so goes his power, so goes his authority, so goes his law, so goes his influence. You cannot separate God's presence from his power. So that means as a priest that when you carry God's presence, guess what you also carry? His power, his authority. So good. And it still gets better. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are ambassadors of Christ. Ambassadors. Anyone ever thought about what the privilege of an ambassador might be or what some of them might be? No? Okay, cool. One of them, one of them, which is pretty sweet, is called diplomatic immunity. Familiar with that one? Yeah. All right. Diplomatic immunity simply says that when an ambassador sets foot on foreign soil, it basically says that they are subject to the laws and the authority of the nation they are from, not from the nation they're standing in. 
They are ruled and they are governed by the nation they're from. We're citizens of heaven. We're ambassadors of Christ. We are priests who are permitted and allowed to carry God's presence. Okay. We're ambassadors of Christ. We are priests who carry the presence of God. We carry his presence and his authority. There is a kingdom of darkness that rules and lurks on this earth. It's why there is sickness. It's why there is death. It's why there is pain, fear, anxiety, anorexia, bulimia. All of this is because the kingdom of darkness rules here on this earth. But where an ambassador temporarily stands becomes governed by the nation he is from. So when you walk into a room where there is sickness and you come as a priest and an ambassador of Christ, that place, that room becomes governed not by the dominion of darkness, but it becomes governed by the kingdom of heaven. And in heaven there is no sickness. You are a priest. You carry God's presence. You carry God's power. That's why we believe in divine healing. Not because Pastor Lauren is awesome. Are people here healed? That would be cool, but no. It's not because of that, but it's because I am a priest. And when a priest and an ambassador walks in the room, that place will be governed by the kingdom of God. You are priests. God wants you to carry his presence well. He wants you to carry his power well. Walk into those rooms knowing and owning that you are a priest. Own it. What would happen if everywhere we went became an opportunity for people to meet God through us? What would happen if we carried the presence of God everywhere we went, into every living room, into every dining room, into every grocery store, into every workplace, onto every golf course, into every church? What would happen? The earth would shake. Only priests can carry God's presence. Who are you? A priest. Number three, priests minister to God. Minister to God. Deuteronomy 10.8 again says, The Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord to minister to him. The priest ministers to the Lord. Interestingly enough, in the Bible, you will not find a word for worship that has the connotation that worship is to or for mankind. Not in Greek, not in Hebrew, not anywhere in the Bible will you find that worship is to or for mankind. Worship is only to minister to God. That's it. It's not for us. It's not for any of us. It's to minister to God's heart, to love God's heart well. You want to speak God's love language? Worship him. Worship him. We need to realize that it's not, as priests, worship isn't about each other, making each other feel good, singing songs to us, letting worship be the time where God ministers to us. He does. But he shows up when we minister to him first. 
So I was at a fine arts conference one year. Um, if you don't know what fine arts is, it's a youth conference where students, middle school all the way through high school, get to use their gifts and their abilities to minister to God. And they can do that in about 62 different ways. Um, you can do it through dance, through drama, through web design, through set design, through worship leading, for, through preaching, children's sermons, whatever, drawing, art, painting, it, photography. There's a ton. And so I was at this conference, and this was maybe four or five years ago. And, and I was there, and there was a group of students that got up. And normally, as the students would get up, they would bring their instruments up, or they would find their place on the stage, and they'd get set. They might introduce themselves, and then they would lead the entire congregation in worship, if it was a worship team. And I watched as this group of students, middle schoolers and high schoolers, they took the platform, and they didn't immediately take their places. Instead, they grabbed the keyboard, and they flipped it around. Then they grabbed the entire drum set and turned it all around. They took every music stand and every mic stand, and they flipped them around. And then they took their place. And that group of students stood on that platform and they said, we're going to lead in worship, and they did this. And they led that congregation in worship just like this, looking, and there was, just like there is on our back wall, a cross. And those students kept their eyes on that cross. They did not get on that platform so that they could be seen, so that they could be discovered. They did not get on that platform so they could sing songs that would make a congregation feel good. They got on that platform and says, I don't care what they think. I'm going to look at God. I'm going to minister to his heart. That is the job of a priest. I don't care what they think. I'm going to minister to God's heart. I don't think I've ever seen such a physical picture written so well. Middle schoolers and high schoolers, you got it. Oh, my goodness. We as priests are called to minister to God. What would happen in your life if every decision, everything that you did was based around one question? God, how can I minister to you? God, what's the best way that I can minister to you? What if you woke up every day and say, God, what's the best way I can minister to you today? Rather than waking up and saying, God, what do you have for me today? right? What would happen to your life? The other reality is this. No one wants to hang out with a self-centered friend. Neither does God. No one wants to hang out with someone who's always about me, me, me. What can I get? What can I have? Neither does God. Have you ministered to God's heart? our job and our responsibility and our function as priests. Number four, priests bless people. Priests bless people. Deuteronomy 10.8, again, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. Now, when we talked about ministering, it was ministering to God's heart. When it's talking about blessing, it's talking about blessing in his name. 
We don't bless the Lord, per se. We don't bless him. He blesses us. But we as priests have the right and the responsibility to bless in his name. I was still living in Africa when Pastor Dale and I had our first conversation about me moving to Florence. I was nearing the end of a a term in missions. And we went through kind of the idea of of the church and, and the culture here in Florence and the who, the what, you know, dynamics. And I wanted to know, because I never met Pastor Dale before I came here. I wanted to know, what is his heart? Where is he leading this church? Where is he leading this city? And so best way I knew to do that, I got onto the church website, and I started listening to Pastor Dale's sermons. I wanted to hear, what is he sharing with this church? What is he challenging with this church? I wanted to know how to pray for you guys. And so I listened And it didn't take me very long to figure out one of his big passions by about the second podcast I listened to. He ended his service the same way every time. Nearly every time since I've been here, except for last week, which he kicked himself for. (laughs) Nearly every time, if you know, if you've been here, Pastor Dale will end his service with a blessing. Nearly every time. He believes in blessing. He understands blessing. Pastor Dale's one priest. We are a multitude of others. Biblical blessing is not words spoken to make people feel good. But biblical blessing catalyzes destinies in people's lives. Biblical blessing is a catalyst, and a catalyst is a substance that sets off or speeds up a chemical reaction. It is the ingredient that causes change. Biblical blessing causes change. And as a priest, I have a job and I have a responsibility to bless, to cause change. Have you guys ever been frustrated with someone that hasn't um, matured? Someone that seems to be stuck in their ways and seems to be not growing as a person, not growing spiritually. They're doing the same thing over and over, and you've told them a million times, and you're just frustrated. Anyone been there? Parents, I'm sure you've been there with your own kids, right? When was the last time you blessed them? When was the last time you spoke a blessing over that person? What if the problem with their lack of change, their lack of growth, wasn't with that person? But what if the problem is with our lack of responsibility as a priest to speak the blessing over that person? Because it's the blessing that will catalyze that change. When was the last time you, last time you spoke a blessing over them? Now you might say, well... Pastor Lauren, I pray for them, and I pray for them, and I pray for them, and I've said prayer after prayer after prayer, and I'm going on year five, and isn't that enough? There's still not change. Let me challenge you with just this one thought. Saying a prayer about someone and speaking a blessing over someone are two different things. It's okay to pray. Pray. 
But in your prayers, bless that person. It's really, really, really easy, I know, to go into prayer to God and spend your whole time praying, complaining to him. That is not a blessing over a person. When was the last time you blessed them? It's our job and our responsibility as priests to bless. And a blessing calls forth character. A blessing calls forth strengths. And you can only bless someone and say, you will be this. You will be a firm believer. You will be covered in the presence of God. The only way that you can know that is if you know him. It's why only priests can bless people. Because they have a direct line, direct relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who knows that person's future. You do not know that person's future, but God does. God does. By depending on the Holy Spirit, we are able to bless people. Because it is through the Holy Spirit's eyes and hearts that we are able to call forth the diamond that is still in the thing of coal. Only by God. Number five. A priest helps others worship God. Priests help others worship God. Well, wait, isn't that the pastor's job? Nope. Isn't that the church's job? Nope. Let's take a look at 2 Kings 17, verse 26 through 28. This was a really interesting passage as I was reading it because I was kind of caught off. I'm like, wow, that was a good story. So some people said to the king of Assyria, the people who you took away and put in the cities of Samaria don't know the laws of the God of that country. So that God sent lions to attack them. And the lions killed them because they don't know the laws of the God of that country. So the king of Assyria gave this command. You took some priests from Samaria. Send one of them who I captured back to Samaria. Let that priest go and live there. Then he can teach the people the laws of the God of that country. So one of the priests who the Assyrians had carried away from Samaria came to live in Bethel. He taught the people how they should honor the Lord. The God of that country is Yahweh God. See, Israel had turned their back on God again and again and again and again. And so God sent the Assyrians to send them and disperse them into exile, to scatter them. And the Assyrians, it was just kind of part of the, the world then. You took someplace over. You sent your own people to live there, and they kind of integrated and lived together. And so the Assyrians were like, free land. I'll take the waterfront property. Thank you. So they moved in. But they moved in with their gods. They moved in not knowing who the God of that land, Yahweh God, was. And let me tell you, God will not stand idle and let his name be forgotten in his own country, in his own land. And so God permitted lions to go into that land, and those lions terrorized those people until his name was not forgotten, until he was worshipped and remembered again. Now, we live in Florence. We don't have lions. We have bears. But (laughs) I'm not saying that, you know, teach people how to worship all the bears will leave. That's not where I'm going, all right? Though we don't have physical lions living here, 
don't be blind to the fact that there are spiritual lions prowling around, that there are spiritual lions ready to jump on the weak and the ignorant, the sick and the lame and the defeated. There are lions ready to devour them. And they are winning in some cases because we, as a priesthood, haven't taught people how to worship. It is our job to teach those around us how to worship. And when we teach them how to worship, guess what? Those lions won't win. Those lions will leave. They will have a stronghold in Christ. And where Christ is, the enemy has no foothold. So who have you taught how to worship? Who are you teaching how to worship? How do we do this? It is our job as a priesthood to teach others how to worship. We must teach the world how to worship so they will learn to fear and follow God and so that he will heal our land. God desires and has forever desired that we would be a kingdom of priests not a kingdom with priests in it. That we would be a holy nation, not a nation with holy people in it. I wonder what would happen if all who called themselves Christians began to function as priests, even in just these five ways, every day. What would happen if every Christian who filled the sanctuary came not to meet with God, but to build a meeting place for God? What would happen if every Christian came to minister not came not to minister excuse me came not to be ministered to but came to minister to God What would happen What would happen if every Christian sought to bless rather than scrounged around for their right to be blessed To be a priest is to function as a priest And in that function, it is to experience the awesome and the wonderful blessing of God. Only priests carry God's presence. So for those of you who I said you were a priest and you pushed back at the very beginning and said, oh, I couldn't be because I'm not holy enough. I'm not good enough. I love my sin too much. You push back on God's presence and I want God's presence for you. So run to it. Run to being a priest. But as you run to it, know that you also have a calling on your life as a priest. And you're ordained not because of who you are. You're ordained because of who God is. Your capacity is not yours, it's his. So when you think, I couldn't ever do that, yes, you can. You know why? Because he said so. Your identity is founded in him, not founded in your history and your past and what the world said about you. It's founded in God. A church full of priests is the dream of God. Let's be priests this morning. Pastor Jeff's going to lead us in song because I, I don't think that there's any other appropriate way to close this out than saying, hey, God, I showed up so that I can minister to you this morning. I don't think there's a better way to leave this place than to leave ministering to God's heart.